The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Ten minutes after eight here on the Forum at Eight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, the past week saw residents of Soweto, Kahiso and Deepslut, and as we heard on the news, Mayfair as well, looting shops owned by foreign nationals within their communities. The police are adamant in calling these criminal acts, while some people are saying that the attacks are xenophobic in nature. Be that as it may, these violent acts are not only ones that we are seeing in our communities, We see these acts of violence everywhere in society where people are murdered or beaten up. And could one of the underlying problems be the inequality that we are forced to live with in our societies? Uh, The have-nots have turned on the haves. Is that perhaps what is happening or is it something that is about to blow up in a big way? On the Forum at 8 this morning, we ask, is inequality one of the main drivers of the social unrest that we are seeing in South Africa, broadly speaking? Love to hear your views on this. 891 is the number for you to dial. You can also SMS us on 34701, tweet or Facebook at Sakina Kamwendo or at AM Live on SAFM. And joining us to unpack this discussion further is uh, Minka Statler, who is Head of Media and Public Affairs at the Institute of Race Relations. Thanks for coming through, Minka. We also have with us uh, Jean-Pierre Misago, who is a researcher at Wits University's uh, Center for Migration and Society, as well as uh, Busiso Moyo, researcher at, uh, at the Studies in Poverty and Inequality. To all of you, thank you so much for making the time to come into studio. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. Now, a lot has been said, especially of late in the lead-up to uh, that very nice get-together in Davos in Switzerland about wealth and income inequality. And um, some of the uh, statistics that have been bandied about have made for interesting, if not disturbing, reading. And, um, you know, it was said uh, that in the lead-up to this particular get-together, the conference, Oxfam released um, a statement and they said wealth accumulated by the richest 1% will exceed that of the other 99% in 2016. Now that is staggering by any stretch of the imagination because the, y- you struggle to wrap your mind around just how much wealth this 1% actually sits on. But uh, maybe to just bring it back to South Africa and put it into perspective, uh, Minka, if we look at South Africa and the inequalities that we are saddled with, perhaps just looking at some of the stats, how unequal are we as a society? We're incredibly unequal. Our biggest, biggest issue is economic inequality. So, yes, in 1994... Everyone spoke of freedom, and yes, we have political freedom. You can, to, you know, you can roughly vote for who you like. You can start a party if you like. You know, we're not too regulated around that. But most people in South Africa, the majority of people, do not have economic freedom, and that leads to a lot of problems, which I'm sure we will talk about soon. Mm. Which we've actually seen in the last week as well. And just to also give you some data. There is a measure called the Gini coefficient, which any data at the Institute of Race Relations, we're one of the first organizations to also say, look, data can be pulled apart. Data can always be improved. The collection of data can always be improved. But at the moment, one of the best measures, again, 
can be pulled apart is the Gini coefficient, which measures inequality. And how it works is it's a it's a measure out of one. If you have a, if you have a, a score of one, you are extremely unequal. A country is extremely unequal. And if it's a score of zero, the country will be perfectly equal. Obviously, there's no country that's perfectly equal. So I don't know of any countries that have a score of zero. But South Africa is around 0.62, which is much, much, much too high. And it's also higher than it was in 1996, which was 0.6. And I believe looking at new data that's come out very recently that we're at 0.65 now. So our inequality is actually increasing year by year. And that's really worrying. And and then just to put that into perspective, so we are right at the top at 0.65, followed by Namibia at 61.3, Botswana 60.5, Zambia 57.5, Honduras, Central African Republic, Lesotho, Colombia, Brazil and Guatemala in the top 10. So it's it's one of those dubious distinctions that we as a country can do without. But if you were to break it down further, uh, provincially perhaps, and uh, you know uh, maybe also across the racial divide in South Africa, what does the picture tell us? So provincially, where all the provinces actually are hanging around the point six. Gini coefficient, but the province that is actually seeing the greatest inequality is Gauteng, which is where we're sitting today, and it's 0.63, and the lowest inequality is is uh, the Northern Cape, or actually, no, even Limpopo, and why we're actually seeing that is Gauteng obviously is a quite contained province, it's very urban, it's also where the strongest economy, it's sort of the driver of the, 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 the country's economy, most of it lies and happens in Hutting. That's also historically, what, you know, that's historically during the apartheid years, Hutting was already seen as an economic driver. So you would expect that that's not going to just change over 20 years. It's still where the mines are. It's still where main, the big banks have their, their, their head offices and so forth. But it's also where some of the country's poorest people are. And they, people come here from other provinces which is also will will push up the inequality and it's it's a problem you know that Hauteng needs to face and the northern cape again you can probably say that there's not a lot of uh, there's maybe some agriculture going on a tiny bit of mining but there's not really any great economic activity going on and that's why you, you'll see slightly less inequality in the Northern Cape but that doesn't mean that the Northern Cape doesn't for example have a huge unemployment problem mm. and then and the question then becomes Jean-Pierre the rich have always been with us as have the poor so why is there suddenly this emphasis and why are we even looking to perhaps um, you know single this out as a reason for the social and political unrest that we see? This argument has been made before uh, to link inequality to violence. But to be honest, it hasn't been um, able to, to pass the scientific scrutiny, the empirical evidence, empirical test, for the simple fact that we have so many poor communities in our areas, in the country, and we don't see violence in each and every community. It means inequality might be one of the elements of the causal chain, but is not the necessary and sufficient condition to cause violence. There must be something else going on in those communities, and you have to understand that. Have you been able to pinpoint some of those other causal factors? Yes, we have been able to identify what causes 
um, these socioeconomic conditions to lead to violence. And one of those conditions, um, for instance, one is because the violence we see is targeted to a certain group. So for violence to be targeted, there has to be a belief that, that these tough conditions are caused by the presence of this particular group. And then the, the resentment, the frustration is targeted towards that particular group. That's how that group becomes the target of that kind of violence. But that also is not enough. That discontent has to be mobilized because we see collective violence, people coming together to organize something. So somebody makes a call. So the third element is mobilization of discontent. There is inequality, there are other other things. Then there is a belief that this discontent is caused by the presence of this group, and then this discontent is mobilized to produce violence. So there are many elements in the causal chain, and inequality can be one of them, but it's not the only one. Economic inequality, for one, has been stated by many of you know the people who have been interviewed uh, around these sorts of situations. So they say because uh, people, foreign nationals, come in and they take our jobs, uh, they open uh, shops, and thereby you know uh, they manage to actually push us out of the business sector in our communities. So what's your take on that? My take is um, this is an oversimplification of a complex matter. It's not just economic inequality. And it's not the struggle is not between the have and the have-nots. Because if you look at the people who have been targeted in Israel, for instance, these are not the, the super-rich people who have been targeted. But it's, they have more than the others. It, I mean, that's what we call relative deprivation. Relative deprivation. It's not that you are necessarily poor. It's the feeling that you deserve more than you have. Yeah, I might not. So it, I don't think Soweto is the poorest township in the country, and we are seeing the violence in Soweto. So there is this sense that I have something, but I deserve more. So it's not those who are objective poor that are attacking others, but those who feel they deserve more than others. And the idea that foreign nationals are coming to take away things, there is, of course, competition. Mm. But competition in an open market is not crime. And for local residents to say, this, this competition is not okay for us. We don't feel it's legitimate, it's fair. But not being able to follow the appropriate channels to address the conflict is what is causing this mass violence because they know they claim illegality, criminality, but if the Korean institutions might not be able to prove those or those allegations. And then they say the only way to get rid of people we don't like is removing them by self, by, by force ourselves. Mm. But uh, just to uh, follow up on uh, one of the thoughts that are raised there by Jean-Pierre uh, Busiso, where he talks about uh, the sense of deserving more than you have. Um, does that not speak to inequality? Look, of course it does. Of course it does. Uh, we cannot shy away from that, that people have... Se- in a democratic setting, you know, there's certain expectations that people have that they place upon the state. But I think more than that, we also need to acknowledge that um, people are generally frustrated by the levels of poverty and unemployment that currently characterize their you know, daily struggles, particularly in South Africa, as a result of this inequality issue that we are still grappling with and coming to terms with. Um, 
but maybe just bringing it back home, what we also need to acknowledge maybe from the onset is that, um, you know, the key triggers of violence in these sort of like contested spaces are that desire and aspiration for political and economic power, whether that expresses itself formally or informally. Um, but in essence, what I think maybe we need to take, you know, co- we, we need to be cognizant of here is that, you know, these, it, it is not the wealthy, like we say, right? But it's the, it's the middle class, non-nationals that are being targeted, but they're also being targeted in the most vulnerable settings. So it's not that they're coming in there as sort of like, you know, providing some sort of economic gateway uh, out, out of that, that dire setting that people find themselves in. But they, they, they come there and they also become part of that struggle. But then there's that misunderstanding because we don't know what informs that. We don't know what, how they're leveraging this sort of dire situation. And I think post the 2008 violent attacks, there hasn't been political leadership, decisive leadership to say, to, to sort of like address those misconceptions about the role that non-nationals play within the sort of, you know, informal setting in terms of struggling for those resources, in terms of addressing those uh, misconceptions about actual and perceived scarcity at the local level, at the you know grassroots level, where you know it, it is a contested space. You mm. know, in terms of so, resources, so yeah. why has inequality worsened over the years? That's that's a difficult question, and and, and I don't and I don't know if I have the answer for you. But I think more than anything else, it's 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 grappling with the develop, developmental state agenda, right? So where do our priorities lie as a state? Uh, because there are trade-offs in any given setting, and uh, and I sympathise with with but but with the state generally because that's 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 a very you know difficult sort of agenda to address in terms of you know ensuring that everybody's viewpoints are understood and taken seriously moving forward. So. I'm not. I'm not saying I have an answer for you. However, what I'm saying is, it is a problem, and it's high time you know people start sensitizing themselves to the struggle. Maybe Jean Pierre or yeah. Minka may have an answer, but love to hear your views on this as well. Oh eight nine one one zero four two zero eight on the forum at eight this morning. We are asking: Is inequality one of the drivers of the social unrest that we are currently seeing in our community? And if you think it is. To what extent or not? That's what we'd love to hear. And let's go to the lines quickly. Nicholas, you're calling from Pretoria. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Hi, Nicholas. Um, yeah, I'm a professor of economics and I, I lecture the issue of inequality and poverty at the University of Johannesburg. And uh, uh, I want to comment on two issues. The first thing is that inequality does have a link to violence. It's one of the theoretical channels through which inequality reduces economic growth. And there have been some connections, especially when there is competition for scarce resources and communities, uh, seeing that the scarce resources have not been fairly distributed. Then it can actually spark violence. And uh, this has actually been confirmed in a number of African countries, tribal wars, and a lot of social unrest that has been linked to skewed distribution of resources because inequality could be assessed at various levels. You could have inequality at a level of input to production where I have always said that that is where you start to tackle inequality in terms of the access to the production process and not rather the outcome which income inequality is measuring. Once you have income inequality, you're already too late. However, I cannot decisively link the, 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 the situation in Soweto to inequality. 
there might be a lot of complex factors involved. It still needs to be analyzed. And one of your, your guests has been explaining that Gauteng uh, has the highest economic growth. Understand inequality in terms of uh, a, a situation where if a system is heated, then you have a lot of uh, 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 dispersion because of heat. Whenever the economy is growing and whenever there's a lot of economic activities, one of the consequences might be inequality, but in, normally it has to be transitory. The problem in the generation that we're living in now is that inequality has become entrenched and part of normal life, which is not the normal consequence of transitory economic growth that we know about in the history of uh, the theory of economic uh, or economic growth and inequality. Talking to one question that you have asked about the sources of inequality, the key source of inequality is that a capital and input to production process is increasingly becoming scarce, and only very few can access it. If you have the means of production, then you have the proceeds of that production. Secondly is that there is a new form of capital that has dominated the market, which is called intellectual capital, where you have intellectual property rights. A lot of the people, your Bill Gates, for example, and the other rich people, if you look at the kind of wealth they have, it is sourced from intellectual capital, where you have your property rights and so on. Uh, these are areas that one has to tackle most importantly, but also because resources are increasingly scarce, we would have to live with a situation where uh, many people will have and others, or, sorry, very few people will have more of the capital and others will not. All right, and we're going to have to leave it there, unfortunately, okay, fine, Nicholas. But, but but thank you so much for that input. And the lines are open. It's 26 minutes uh, before nine here on the Forum at 8. We are, to, uh, we are talking about inequality and asking whether inequality is one of the main drivers of the social unrest that we currently see in our communities. And just before the break, we took a call from uh, Nicholas. Um, and uh, Nicholas uh, actually uh, told us that there is a correlation between inequality and violence at the end of the day. So I'd love to hear your views. And um, that's not the only thing he shared, but, you know, just thought I'd highlight that. So what are your views on this particular matter and what is going on? I just want to uh, run through some of the messages coming through because there are some interesting ones. Uh, Ringo Madlingozi says, the system of having, of having haves and have-nots the capitalist system is definitely not working. A new system is needed. Uh, Sitole says, inequality or not, we must teach our children the moral values and how to survive. It seems we are too soft with our children. And Mandla uh, for Man You for Life says, a lack of parenting values as the cause of the looting. How can you allow kids to bring groceries when you know that they are unemployed? And uh, and then Nkosing Pile um, says, I don't think the attacks in Soweto were caused by inequality, but it's a sense of entitlement by South Africans. And some of the SMSs on this, SSN uh, from Bloemfontein says, South Africans are waiting for handouts, that is grants for gov- from government. Chris says, what rubbish, blaming inequality for bad behavior. There has always been and always will be inequality. Communism did not solve it. In fact, it made it worse. Visit an ex-communist state. Discipline and work ethics is what is needed. 
Gail says this country is wealthy. If our government gave everyone one million rand instead of wasting it on luxury, then each poor person will have a good head start. And I'm sure many people will agree with you, Gail. I'm just not sure about the practicalities of that. And inequality is a sign of economic growth, says this one. South Africa has no triple crisis but two, which is poverty and unemployment. People have a different ability. And Joe in Peter Maritzburg, your guest sounds like he's from a different planet. We shouldn't even be asking that question. It is as glaring as anything that glares, says Joe. Um, Vavi warned us a long time ago about the ticking time bomb, and we ignored him, says this unsigned one. And another unsigned SMS says, Our government is failing the poor by failing to regulate the influx of foreigners. These people are not integrating with us. They uh, live elsewhere come in, take the money, go back to where they stay. And my question is, can I go to Nigeria and start a shop without a permit? These people are too many and they are suffocating us. Anthony says, people with capital want to invest, but not where there is mismanagement of an economy. And uh, the Gini coefficient is fraught with complexity. Use it at your discretion, says this one. So a whole range of issues are being thrown at us here. Uh, But yeah, is it more difficult to uh, deal with the inequality problem today than it was a decade ago. Ninka? Well, where to start? First of all, yes, the Gini coefficient do, do, you know, look at it with caution, but it is still, you know, a nice sideline, a nice thing to look at uh, just to get a rough idea. The thing that what we want to say is it's about jobs. It's about jobs, jobs, jobs. Handouts, giving a million rand to each person in the country, even um, uh, Tony Ehrenreich giving, I think, two-thirds of his salary to the poor is great, but it's a short-term solution. It doesn't, it doesn't solve the long-term issue, and that is the huge unemployment that we have in South Africa. People are not, don't have jobs like we see. Uh, we, we, we see actually an expanded definition. Now what that means is counting the people who have given up looking for work. Mm-hmm. So people like to throw around the official definition, which is around 25%. And then they like to say, for example, Greece also has a 25% unemployment. But Greece has had a recession over the last two, three years. We've had six years of so-called economic growth. So we shouldn't be seeing this. And then when you expand it, in the youth, we have between 40 and 65%. And you know what? In some areas, the Eastern Cape, the Northern Cape, you can see a 90%. And I'm sure in places like Soweto as well, a 90% youth unemployment. So who are we seeing looting? The young people. So we're saying that policy needs to change. Policy has been great in the sense that it was trying to fix the wrongs of the past, but we need to start looking at how we're going to build this country. And welfare is great, but too much welfare, too much dependency does not solve the issue of not having a job. And policy needs to be in su- you know, needs to change in such a way that people talk about capitalism, but if capitalism is allowed, if people who own businesses are allowed to employ people and that it's a it's a it's also a a discussion that the employee and the employer have mm. about pay then you're going to see a lot more people having jobs it's better to have a job that maybe pays slightly less because that works into the business plan of the business owner than to have no job at all to have absolutely no income and just on the note of foreigners coming in and 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 taking jobs and all that sort of thing the irony is is that foreign influx is actually an economic 
builder. They employ South Africans. They buy South African products, South African bread, South African fruit, South African canned food, and they sell it in their shops. So they are part of our economic wheel. And to say that they come in and take the money and leave really is not true. And our listeners are holding on, but but, but I just have to go, have a go at this one here. Chris and Ringo Madlingozi on opposite sides of the spectrum. So the question then becomes, does our economic system perpetually sustain the essence of inequality? Busiso. <laughs> wow, wow. Look, look, look. I, I, think, I think this is a problem. Let us acknowledge it as such. Granted, we suffer from inequality, the burden of inequality, is evident and we struggle with it on a daily basis. But however, if we are to be honest about this, what has been our response to the problem? Right. That's mm-hmm. the point of departure. And I think in that sense, this is when we realize and we have to acknowledge that there has not been sufficient political leadership, condemnation of what is going on. Right. Where is the sense of national shame? Because truth of the matter is violence is violence. What we are doing is wrong, regardless of what the circumstances are. That constitutionalism, the rainbow nation ideals, human rights at the forefront of everything we do, where is that rhetoric now? How do we make that tangible? How do we make that beneficial to those at the bottom of the pyramid? And I think that's the point of departure that we need to start because coming back to the issue of uh, uh, unemployment, so granted, you know, unemployment in South Africa is pegged at 25% or whatever the case is, but then what we need to understand that the converse of that means that statistically, you know, the amount of discouraged workers out there who are just frustrated and mm. are looking for it. It's, it's, it's also a looming problem that we also need to start addressing. But what does it say? Let's talk to that economic system. I know it's, a, you know, uh, an argument that many people don't necessarily want to have. But uh, there you have Chris on the one hand saying, you know what? Communism is not an option. It's failed. You can go. The world is littered with examples of its failure. And then you have Ringo on the other hand saying what we have currently it's not working for us either. So where does the solution lie? Okay, so maybe it goes back to the question of social safety nets, right? So what do we do in a capitalist system to ensure that the burden of poverty does not hit the hardest those at the bottom of the pyramid? Granted, we've got a, a very vibrant social security framework in South Africa, but maybe it's high time we interrogate that and even make calls for something more radical. Maybe it's time we start looking at a basic income grant because what you see is between the age of 18 and 59, there is no social security scheme, uh, a scheme that directly speaks to those people and the challenges that they go through. And more than that, you know, we've got that sort of debate around the means test in terms of you know, social security provision and that sort of stuff. So granted, it's not a, I don't have a clear-cut answer for you, but it's high time we start putting radical proposals there that will address the issue of inequality in South Africa in a way that takes political decisive intervention in terms of this economic inequality that... But does introducing more grants into the system, is that radical at all? Is it an ideal situation to have a greater number of your population dependent on grants from government? Because this is the trajectory that we have been on. Going back to Thabo Mbeki uh, some years ago was saying we need to move in the opposite direction, meaning that we need to see fewer people on government grants. But the opposite has been true. And we are seeing more and more people, uh, if I'm not mistaken, at last glance, about a quarter of our population at this point are dependent on government grants to survive. Jean-Pierre, hold that thought. I want to take some of the listeners and then I'll come back to you. Uh, Simi in Butabelo, good morning. Morning, Sakina. Hi. And, uh, 
I don't know, but here in Butabelo, I'm, I, I've been doing this uh, tax show, puzzle show for the last 30 years. And uh, here in Butabelo, how we are doing it, it's a question of the government doesn't want to come to the, to the party. The government is the one that is doing all these things must go out of proportion. It's a question of these people are refugees. The others are economic refugees. Now we tell the people here in our in the free state that, uh, um, look, there are so many shops here in Butadel. These people, what they are supposed to be doing is a question of, they must not each and every corner open up a shop. There is places where there are shops. The people that have closed, they've, uh, they've led them to the outsiders. But the community of Ethiopia, the people that are reasonable, the community of Bangladesh, they understand, then they see the situation that they are not supposed to be opening shops each and every place. But the people that are bringing problems are the Ethiopian community. They don't want to listen to anything. Anywhere where they feel like doing a job, they do it. And at that point, what they are doing is they make the people to be a little bit somehow not nice because there is no industry in Butadelo. There is no money that you can get. And the little bit that you get, these people, we are fighting over it. I think the government must come to the party and come and address this. In Jobek, I don't know how, 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 how they are working it out. Okay, thanks so much, Semi, for sharing that. Let's go to Kailicha. Bonangele, good morning. A very good morning, SK. You know, there's one thing that people must not deny here. You know, this thing is caused by the rate of unemployment, which is very high. And that causes anger. And that causes jealousy, so to speak. You know, they always say no one is allowed to take the law into, the, into our own hands. But with the Somalians and these Ethiopians, I mean with these people, you know, shooting those young kids, what do they expect? I mean, what does this government expect people to do or react with regard to that? This thing, it's not the first time it's happening. It happened in PE, Port Elizabeth, probably two years ago, if not last year. What happened to that Somalia? I'm interested to know he was arrested, but was he sentenced? Is he behind the bars as we're talking right now? Because if they keep on doing this thing, people, because of being unemployed, they are very angry and that jealous of saying these people, they come and run business here. So they will start doing this looting. Even okay. though I'm not supporting the looting, so to speak, but all I'm saying, even with this government, they start talking about, for instance, I will make an example of when he was killed last year. Then they will start talking about, well, there's a lot of uh, illegal firearms, as if they didn't know that. They're absolutely doing nothing. Even they will call press conferences and start addressing as if it's something that is very new. It is not new. They know for a fact firearms that are illegal, they are, you know, the people, they, for instance, with this Somalian, they need to do something. Therefore, I am saying it's caused by anger, rate of unemployment, and that will cause by jealousy, of course. Okay. You understand? I got you there, Bonagele. Thanks so much. Mike in Middleburg, good morning. Morning, Sakin, and thanks for taking my call. The question you asked to your panelists about uh, the economic system as to whether it perpetuates inequality, that is exactly my point, Sakina. You know, I made this point before, and I want to repeat that uh, had uh, the late great Peter Tosh lived long enough to witness what is happening, 
the brutalities of capitalism. Uh, he would have made a follow-up to his song titled Stop That Train, and probably a new song would be titled I Told You So, because in the song Stop That Train, he saw it coming long, long time ago, and forgets again about those people who tell you that uh, communism or socialism has failed elsewhere. Uh, but now capitalism is failing live. You don't have to look at history. You just have to wake up to the reality to see the failures of capitalism. Therefore, we really need a big endeavor to look at the economic system, much as we must condemn, you know, the unbecoming behavior that is happening, because you will not understand why people destroy the infrastructure, because the infrastructure is made to address the inequalities that are there. If a person destroys uh, water, electricity, and other forms of infrastructure, that person obviously does not understand uh, what to use to advance uh, his, his, uh, his concerns. So, but the fact of the matter is that capitalism is the major cause of uh, what is happening now. And lastly, Sakina, uh, read the book of James, chapter 5 when Jesus addressed, uh, you know, uh, us, I would say so, about uh, the dangers of uh, capitalism. If we become selfish about gold and diamond and all these resources, instead of sharing, we are going to be consumed by fire because of holding on selfishly. All right. Thank you so much, Mike. Yajin Cape Town, good morning. Morning, Sakina. <clears throat> a lot of the callers have made very important points, and you know, it's quite clear that there's a toxic combination of poverty, unemployment, uh, high levels of unemployment, and inequality are the driving uh, underlying causes of the, the, the violence we are witnessing. But the problem is the system itself, as you say, is designed to concentrate wealth in the hands of a very few, and this is a global problem. Oxfam has recently has said that one percent of the the top one percent of the world <coughs> owns more than the the rest of the world put together in, mm. in, in, in a couple of years that will be happening. But the system is based on uh, you know compound interest and debt. It's a fractional reserve banking system that we need to look at. <coughs> and how do we do that? We need to look at you know public banks, community banks. We need to look at uh, basic income. It's not such a radical idea. It, it also doesn't create dependency. That's a myth that it could create dependency. It's a form of uh, income redistribution, and it's a hand up to people who are, uh, you know, uh, suffering low wages, high levels of unemployment, and it creates a demand for, for goods and services and will boost, you know, the uh, employment creation in the country. And furthermore, we can look at, you know, radical tax reforms. We can look at, instead of having income tax and VAT, we should have land tax and uh, a financial transaction tax that's a levy on all uh, financial transactions this is where the the country is being drained of its capital by multinationals by the wealthy siphoning up their money abroad and we sit here wondering why there's no investment taking place all right thank you so much yaj in cape town rex in germiston uh, morning sakina morning to your guests and your listeners uh, Sakina, I do not believe in any any iota of your statement that inequality is causing what is this xenophobic attacks. And I think as much of xenophobic and criminality. Uh, what you are saying amounts to, or the topic you are raising this morning amounts to perversion and diversion of attention from what is currently happening to 
uh, giving it a very smooth and very nice name in such a way, validating what is happening. Um, the statement of foreigners are taking our jobs uh, in no way it, it, it does not come to near to the truth because no foreigner is working in any, any government department. Any foreigner that is working in any private sector was it attended interview and uh, was taken, and that is it. The, 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 taking, the next statement is that foreigners are taking our women and all that. Um, these things, when we say all these things and say them publicly, our kids are listening. And when we say that um, uh, inequality is causing the whatever is happening, we are validating what they are doing, not at all. Right, that's Rex in Germiston. Well, a lot has been said. And, um, you know, we are running out of time, so let me bring you in here, Jean-Pierre, so you can have your response to all of what we've covered thus far. Where do we start? I mean, don't we know how you deal with all these issues at the same time? But quickly on a few points. Um, I, I don't know if there is what you can call a pure economic system. Well, see, communism, socialism, capitalism. There is, I don't think there is, I'm not an economist, but I don't think there is such a thing as a pure capitalism. Even the U.S., you have social welfare of some sort. We have inequality in the communist, communist states in those issues. So I don't think we can have a system as pure as we tend to think it can, it can always be. Quick, in terms of what government can do in terms of um, addressing inequality, I don't think handouts can really be um, a solution. The only thing I can see government doing is about providing systems that guarantee equal access to opportunities. But we have to understand that access to opportunities does not reduce inequality because individuals who have equal access can use opportunities in the same, in different ways. And that can see lead to inequalities. But coming back to linking inequality to, to violence, one thing I can say the professor said is very relevant here. Because we tend to see violence happening in the poor areas, it's very appealing to say inequality is causing violence. But what we see is correlation, not causality. That's a big difference. Be- big difference. Because things are happening in the poor areas doesn't mean the poverty is the only cause causing violence. Because... If that was the case, there is enough inequality in each and every society that will be seeing violence in each and, each and every minute of our, our lives, every day. But that's not, that's, not, that's not the case. So inequality will always be there, but it's how how we manage it that determines whether we live in a peace and chaos mm. let me read uh, some of the messages quite a few coming through this morning uh, Liz and Durban says surely the main problem is unemployment people need skills development so they can get a job and become entrepreneurs Sam in Pulukwane says uh, it's an open secret that foreigners do not pay tax don't uh, bank their monies and have illegal guns and fake passports and IDs cry my beloved country Lerato says we are all disadvantaged 
launched in 1994. Um, but 20 years on, we have all uh, seen well-connected people become very wealthy, but we still in shacks with no water. This one says, uh, why not trade in Santon Eastgate Waterfall to see if they are welcome? And Justin in the Eastern Cape says, I believe in urban context. Uh, I believe an urban context increases violent outcomes. Many are living outside of their socially inclusive family and the masses of a community become adopted family. So mass action is the action of the family in support of each other, right or wrong. In a shack dwellers environment, criminal groups are rife globally and instigate the same actions to get rid of competitive market individuals. That's from Justin. This one says if South Africans are if South Africa is such an unequal society, what effect does the influx of foreign nationals have on this inequality? This one, uh, SK, what is law around refugees? Why are they not opening spaza shops within their own communities? I'm not sure where those communities are. ADNPE says the inequality in this country is due to a lack of decent education and the socialist policies of government. Most kids leaving school are unemployable and the socialist policies are preventing private growth. Uh, This one from uh, Lorato says the cause of looting foreign shops is not caused by poverty per se, but the underlying dissatisfaction that foreigners have taken over businesses in townships. Ask any South African. Criminals are used uh, to leading such battles because they have no fear. So it is xenophobia. That's according to Lorato. Well, a lot to say, a lot being said still. Tepiso also says it's poor quality of education and unemployment that will lead to inequality and citizens will revolt. Neil Coleman says the filthy rich 1% are insulated from the impact of obscene inequality and working class community confronts its ravages. And I cannot help but agree with that. If Warren Buffett, who is up there in that 1% pays less tax than his secretary. Doesn't that tell you something is wrong? Yeah, it does. And I think interestingly from the South African context in particular, Oxfam produced the very same report that pinpointed that the top two wealthiest South Africans have amassed so much wealth that exceeds half of the population combined. So that's just the sad reality that we live in. But however, how do we challenge this? status quo how do we respond in such a way that we'll see an equitable distribution how of do resources we? that's the question and i leave just lastly yeah. uh, people saying social grants and since 1999 to 20, 2013 the social grants recipients increased by 51000% okay so 51000% that's impossible now tell me those kids have been receiving social grants they're the ones looting so get them jobs, create jobs, fix the education system. And then Busiso actually touched on it. We want a BEE replaced with an income-based empowerment system, which will obviously... Who's we? Uh, the IRR, the Institute of Race Relations. Oh, okay. Yes. And, that's and, a conversation for Look at income, look at income rather than at race. Oh, okay. But it will obviously still, I mean, the majority of people problem, yeah. are who are very, very poor are black. But look at income because some people are just getting richer and richer and richer also. Okay, Jean-Pierre. My last word would be about local government being able to manage to manage migration, population mobility. We are saying how things the 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 most unequal society in the country because of population mobility, and without proper planning for the population dynamics we see, 
we never be able to cope because people will keep coming and until last until 2011 we're still using data that was generated in 2001 that was if we use that kind of information about the population living in our cities we are our planning is backward because we, we are not taking into account the population growth population, population changes so and what we see in our in our information townships internal migration domestic migration it is the one bringing in more people than foreigners. How much percent of, of foreigners we have in this country? The recent census shows 4%. 4% is by no means a flood of migrants coming to the country compared to other countries. might have more, like seven or six, but still, it's within the normal standard, the, the, the normal standard of migrant population living in certain areas. So, being able to manage migration, population mobility is key to combating pro- poverty and inequality in our, in our cities. Well, that's unfortunately where we're going to have to leave it this morning. Thanks so much to our guest, Minka Staitler, who is Head of Media and Public Affairs at the Institute for Race Relations. Also, Abusiso Moyo, who is Researcher at Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute. And uh, Jean-Pierre Misako, who is a researcher at Wits University's African Center for Migration and Society. And to you, of course, for participating so fantastically. And I think, I think we need to have that discussion about our economic systems once again. The Forum at 8 on SAFM.